In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. A blessed and holy feast of Pentecost to all of you. This is one of the great feasts of our church, but it's a feast in which we're not just remembering a past event, we're also called on to examine whether the results of this event are indeed present in our lives. I ask you to recall the verse that I've offered to you for this year to meditate on, the verse of this year coming from Ephesians chapter 3, that you might all be filled, or that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. St. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, that they would know the love of God which surpasses all knowledge, this was his prayer, and that he would be filled with all, or that we would be filled with all the knowledge, sorry, all the fullness of God. How can we be filled with all the fullness of God? How can you take the ocean and put it in a bottle? How can you take all the air and put it in a vacuum, or put, sorry, put it in a, a sealed container? This can only happen through the mystery which Christ has granted to us of giving us His Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is given to us not so that we could be members, so to speak, of the church, like card-carrying members of another society, of another group, but the Holy Spirit is given to us so that it might be active within us and we might be active with the Holy Spirit. There are, of course, as always, ways to see whether the Holy Spirit is active within us. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit must not just be kind of seen, but abundantly seen. And we can think about this as any tree that we might have that's bearing fruit. If it bears a lot of fruit, it is pleasing. But if it has one fruit, two fruit, and that fruit is kind of half good, half bad, right? That's not really a, a tree that's producing many fruit. St. Basil, and we're going to get to his wonderful work on the Holy Spirit, which everyone should, should read. And I'll, I can guide you through this because the first eight chapters are boring. So that's a little secret. Skip the first eight chapters and start with chapter nine. But in this book, St. Basil, who only can learn about the Holy Spirit through living the life of the Spirit, He's not just taking Bible verses and kind of telling us this is what the Spirit does, this is what the Spirit is able to do. But through that life which he lives and through the life that he uh, experienced, he presented this to us at a time when people were not giving due respect to the Holy Spirit. St. Basil says, It is impossible to maintain a life of holiness without the Holy Spirit. And the opposite is true. With the Holy Spirit, you are able to, it is possible for you to maintain a life of holiness. And we say in the liturgy something, you know, very frightening. We say the holies are for the holy. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. The holies are the mysteries. And in, in the Greek, it makes more sense because we use the same word, Tiageia or Ageia, the holies are for the holy. The holies are the mysteries, the mystical uh, uh, supper that he has prepared for us of his body and his blood. These are the holies. Are for those who are holy. 
and we presume ourselves or we are kind of presenting ourselves as ones who will partake of the holies. But the church is telling you the holies are only for the holy. It says, blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this word sanctification is the, the becoming holy is by the Holy Spirit. You become holy by the Holy Spirit. So that we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit. And of course, we respond in humility and we say, only one is holy. One is the All-Holy Father. One is the All-Holy Son. One is the All-Holy Spirit. There's nothing that is holy apart from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we present ourselves as ones who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, who want to be sanctified. And so we ask ourselves, do I want to be sanctified? Do I want to be made holy? Do I want to live a life of holiness? St. Basil in chapter 9 and in, in the rest of it, uh, by the way, when I said the first eight chapters are boring, it's because he was discussing a lot of what the heresies were like at that time and how heretics were taking liturgical hymns or verses from the Bible and trying to show that the Holy Spirit was not equal to the Father and the Son. And so he was going through that. And you can see how he uses Scripture and his logic and his, um, and, and his way of uh, debating and, and rhetoric to... Um, to combat that. But in chapter 9 he says, let us now investigate what our common conceptions are concerning the Spirit as well as those which have been gathered by us from the Holy Scripture. So he says, let us talk about what we know about the Spirit from our experience as well as what has been found in the Holy Scripture. And then he also says, and then what has also been received to us from the unwritten tradition of the fathers. We spoke about unwritten traditions in our last adult meeting. And he says, all things that are thirsting for holiness turn to the Holy Spirit. Everything living in virtue never turns away from the Holy Spirit. He waters all with his life-giving breath and helps them reach their proper fulfillment. And that proper fulfillment is that we become perfect, we become holy, we become true images and true icons of the Father, uh, uh, sorry, of His Son, Jesus Christ. It says the Holy Spirit perfects all things, and Himself, He lacks nothing. He gives life to all things. And, and in giving, He's never Himself depleted. He is the source of sanctification. He is the source of spiritual life who gives illumination to everyone using his powers to search for truth. And the illumination he gives is of himself. His nature is of course unapproachable, but in his goodness, we are able to draw near to it. He fills all things with his power, but only those who are worthy may share it. He distributes his energy in proportion to the faith of the one who is receiving. He gives to you as much as you want to take. He gives to you as much as you want to receive. Can we ever say, no, no, that's too much, that's, that's enough? 
Think about the example of St. Gregory I've mentioned in the past, that somebody who's coming to a stream of living water and is really thirsting for it, who is very, you know, just parched, not just parched, just hasn't drunk all day, and, and comes to this water, are we just going to take a sip and say that's enough? But we ourselves in our spiritual lives always have to be thirsting after the Holy Spirit. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and, and, and parched land. This is what we read in the Psalms. But he gives to everyone according to the faith of the recipient, according to what the recipient wants. He distributes, but does not change. He shares and is himself made whole. And the Spirit is given to each one who receives him. And this is what's so beautiful, that the Holy Spirit is given to each one of you as if you possess it all. It's not just giving a part to him and a part to her and a part... As if you, could, you possess all of it within you. Everything that partakes and everyone that partakes of His grace ought to be filled with joy according to that capacity. And the capacity is of your nature, not of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit can fill you with as much as you're willing to take. And St. Gregory, I believe, wrote a eulogy about St. Athanasius. It's not the right word. What's the right word? A panegyric? Is that... Uh, he wrote a praise or a, 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 a homily about St. Athanasius after he departed. And he said that the Holy Spirit found in St. Athanasius a companion, someone who would breathe for him. And there's a play on words there. But he found a companion in St. Athanasius. The Holy Spirit is seeking to find a companion in all of you as well. How... Does the Spirit come to us? St. Basil goes on and he says, The Spirit does not take up His abode in someone's life simply as a physical approach. You can't open up somebody and find the Holy Spirit. Instead, the Spirit comes to us when we withdraw ourselves from evil passions. These evil passions which often creep into the soul through its friendship with the flesh and of the world. And these passions alienate us from a close relationship with God. Only when a person has been cleansed from the shame of his evil and has returned to his natural beauty, to his original form, to the original form of the royal image with which he was created in the beginning before the fall, only when he seeks to do this is it possible for the Holy Spirit to take part and take, uh, uh, to, to rest in that person. And when does this happen for us? It happens for us first in our baptisms and secondly in the life that we live following our baptism. The Holy Spirit comes to us and fills us according to our desires according to our ability. If you give him a little bit, he'll fill a little bit. And as I, I've often mentioned, and it's the only place I've ever read this, where St. Basil speaks about the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, as the counselor, at the time of your final judgment. At judgment, the Holy Spirit will stand with you and either support and defend you or will stand with you and accuse you. 
Why would the Holy Spirit accuse you? Why would the Holy Spirit do such a thing? Because the Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could be living icons, living images of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is given to us and He is allowing us to thrive. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what you do in your life, no matter where you find yourself in your life, the Holy Spirit is capable of allowing your spiritual life to thrive and to flourish. It thrives and flourishes within us through our fighting against sin, through our living a life of repentance, through our partaking of the mystical uh, supper of, of, the, of this meal, of the sacraments in general, of our partaking of, uh, of our uh, reading of our scripture, of our prayers. The Holy Spirit allows us to thrive. But if we choose not to live that life, the Holy Spirit becomes less, never leaves us, never departs from us, but becomes less. And becomes like, a, like your stove light, right? The, the, the flickering light that's there, just always on. There when you want to use it. If you don't want to use it, it's there waiting. Um, and for us, at the, at the end of judgment, He stands up and declares those things which we were able to do, or the, declares those things which we, are, which we neglected to do. Now don't take this literally. Let's take it positively, not negatively. Let's not look at this as God waiting for us to put us in a trap, to make us, you know, to put us in condemnation. But that the Holy Spirit is there for us to flourish and to flourish in our spiritual lives. And it comes back to the first point. Where are or where is the fruit of the Spirit within us? Where is our love for one another? Where is our love for our neighbor, for our brother, our sister? Where is the joy in our life, the joy of salvation, the joy which He has given to us? Where is that life of peace that we are living among ourselves at home, among our extended family, among our community? Is that there? Our Savior said, you'll know them by their fruit. Everyone can be judged by their fruit. Of course, the fruit has to come in the right season and in the right time. But we ought to be producing fruit because we don't know when will that happen. When is the Master coming? And so that life which is being given to us has to be taken advantage of us, uh, by us today. And this is the beauty of, the Holy, of this Feast of the Pentecost, is it calls to mind what has been given to us and calls to mind what our responsibility is with what has been given to us. And our church, and the, sorry, and, and the church has to do its part to remind you not that everything is good and everything is alright and you're doing a great job and keep going, but to remind you, this is going back to last week's sermon, to try harder. But we're not going to say it in the same way of try harder, try something different. Try it and renew it within, within yourself always. We're always coming back, we're always trying again. And this is where the struggle is and this is where the salvation is in the struggle of our spiritual lives. This prayer, O Heavenly King, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter who is everywhere and fills everybody, the treasury of goodness and the giver of life, graciously come and dwell within us, purify us from all iniquity, save our souls. This prayer, which we pray as the fourth uh, troparion or the fourth litany in the third hour, 
let's repeat this during these ne this next season of the Apostles' Fast. In fact, I would encourage you to pray the third hour during this period of the Apostles' Fast, which is very short, three weeks. We could do that standing on our heads, right? And we've been eating meats for the last couple of months. We've all put on a little bit more weight. We all could use this period of time. I'm talking about myself. I've put on my head. Not everyone. You all look great. It's me. Uh, we, we, we should use this time to return and, and ask for the Holy Spirit to be renewed and empowered within us. Let's not lose the advantage of the fasts. Let's not take it as such a, a burden, right? Because the fasts are there as a gift, as a spiritual practice. They're given to us. Uh, and, and I think, you know, when we start walking on water and healing the sick and raising the dead, maybe we can say, I could skip this fast. But until we get to that point, when we're still getting angry with our spouses, when we're still getting angry with our, our relatives, when we're still getting angry and we still have that lack of love, lack of peace, lack of joy, then it's time for us to say, no, I must return and ask for that renewal of the Holy Spirit within, within us. Um, I'm, I might get an opportunity at the end to speak to you and forgive us. We're going we're gonna to end in it. We'll end, by, God willing, by 11 o'clock. But uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers, uh, as well as um, those who have uh, recently or in this past uh, or, or in their life lost their fathers. It's also a day for us to remember our fathers who have departed, if they've departed. It's also, uh, of course, we can use this opportunity to remember uh, our good Father in heaven who gives us all good things. Mother's Day, we remember the church and our mothers as well. Father's Day, we remember this. And I wish you all um, a happy Father's Day. Uh, nothing is better than a father who is able to raise uh, his children and to be in the home with his spouse as a support and as a guide uh, and as a strong pillar to uh, guide them all into the kingdom of heaven. And I hope that this is a goal of all the fathers. Uh, secondly, we have a prayer which is called the prostration prayers or the kneeling prayers. Uh, in Arabic, it's called the segda prayers. This only comes once a year. Uh, in, this, in, in these prayers, oftentimes they're done rushed after the liturgy. I don't think it's fair that we take a prayer of the church and we rush it just to get it done. Now, yes, it's true. Some of you will leave and not come back. But I too don't believe that I should hold you hostage uh, and, and not dismiss you so that you have to stay for these prayers which we're doing at the wrong time and in the wrong way, in a forced way. So uh, this is why I elected this year, not elected, I just decided to do it in the right time or in its proper time. Uh, it's, it's like a two-hour service. It's in the evening. Uh, starts from five. And I'm giving us until eight uh, just so that we can listen to the readings and not also rush through it. I'll be honest with you. It's the first time in my life, in my life, that I'm going to do this or experience this. It's always been in the past. And maybe after we experience this, I'll realize why it's done quickly after the Divine Liturgy. But... But in truth, I, I really love the prayers. I, and those prayers are for, uh, for those that have departed. This is another time in the year when we remember all of our loved ones who have departed. Some have written about this prayer as if we're praying it at the door of Hades. 
And when we say that, when Christ says to Peter, um, uh, or, or says to the church that on this rock I will build the church and the doors of Hades cannot uh, withstand or cannot stand against it, it's, it's the idea that the, the church is going into Hades, that we're knocking and we're not just knocking on the door, we're destroying the door and the church is entering. Just like that icon of the resurrection in the back there where Christ breaks the door of Hades, enters in and takes those who are in Hades out. And just as he did that, the church continues to do this. So this prayers, these prayers are very mysterious, they're, uh, mystical in the sense of, it's yes, Hades is no longer holding the souls, but the souls of those who have departed are, are still waiting. And they rely on our prayers. The prayers of, of the, for us, by us, the living, for those who have departed, give them peace, give them comfort. And this is a wonderful opportunity in the day. Also, at this point in time, I'd like to tell you that we also have Vespers prayers. Vespers prayers on Saturday, also to remember those who have departed, Saturdays at 7 o'clock. If you're missing somebody that, that is dear to you, that has passed away, come to these prayers and pray for them. May God repose their souls. May God accept our prayers. May the blessings and the joy of this peace, of this feast, uh, be with all of you. And glory be to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the age of all ages. Amen.